you uh, remain standing with me if you can, turn with me to Hebrews 11. Today we are considering the 23rd through 28th verses, 23 through 28, Hebrews 11. Again, hear the word of God. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Amen. May God bless this reading of his word to our hearts, minds, and lives. You may be seated. In The Wizard of Oz, the, that great movie from the 30s, uh, my favorite character has always been the cowardly lion. I mean, think about that, a contradiction in terms, a, a cowardly, scaredy-cat lion. And yet, I was always able uh, very readily to relate to this character. I think a lot of us can. You had the scarecrow and the tin man, but, you know, kind of stupid. But, uh, Anyway, uh, the lion represented, you know, our fears and how even when we're supposed to be strong, we, we can still struggle greatly with fear. Here's a text that um, is about courage and how redeemed faith grants us and brings us real courage for life in Christ. There's courage here. Now, I love this section about Moses because there are several things about his decisions and the, the, the decisions he makes and the stands he takes, the, the line he crosses and stands with his God and with his people against his own upbringing in the household of Pharaoh. It's beautiful stuff to see, and it, it takes courage for that, to take that kind of stand and to, to morally stand upon that kind of rock for the reasons that Moses does. And it's a, it's a rich text. It was uh, a lot of fun and, and a blessing to study. And we're gonna look this morning at faith's courage under these four headings. That faith's love is courageous. Faith's loyalty is courageous. Faith's endurance and faith's obedience are also courageous, it takes courage. And that courage is not uh, happening in a vacuum. It, it's, it's a fruit. It's a quality of redeemed re and redeeming faith. If you're redeemed today, if you're justified objectively in the blood of Christ, then you have courage and you will have it when the time comes. Now, I often wonder about that. When the time comes for me, when the time comes for us, and I, I guess it takes some courage to be a believer these days in the mountains of Western North Carolina, but you know, the, the problems of the world, the problems of the big cities, which you know, there's one north, south, east, and west of us, just seems so far away. It doesn't seem to touch us yet. I think there will come a time, I believe there will come a time when we'll need 
the courage that's talked about here. And so this morning, I, I pray that we'll all be encouraged and reminded about the courage that we have in Christ, for Christ, when that time does come. It takes courage every day to get out there and do what we do. But this kind of courage is what we're going to deal with today. So let's, let's give it a look at these, um, these four examples of faith's courage. First of all, a courageous love. Faith brings us, in our redemption, a, a courageous love. Verse 23, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. So we're talking about the, the, uh, the courageous love of Moses' parents here. They hid him away for three months after his birth. Now, if you read Exodus 1 and 2, you're going to find that Pharaoh and the Egyptians were becoming nervous with this, this mass of Hebrews that they had brought down. Jacob and his family multiplied and by the time they left Egypt, <clears throat> um, after Moses arrived and, and took them forth, they, they were about a million of them, a million and a half. And uh, so at this point, it's pretty close to that number, if not that number. They, they may have in many ways outnumbered the Egyptians. Okay, what are we going to do about this? So Pharaoh came up with this uh, clever idea to, to kill off that generation of male babies to curtail the threat. And... So um, that's the situation as Exodus opens, and it's dire. I mean, here's a situation that, that would exude great fear among the people that, were, that this policy, that this edict would be used against. So his parents, um, because they saw that, that Moses was beautiful, and we'll talk about that, and that they were not afraid of the king's edict, well, they hid him away for three months and took the necessary measures to protect his life. Um, now, as you read Exodus 1 and 2, you'll find that only the mother, um, I believe her name was um, Jochebed. Uh, I have it written here. Yeah, Jochebed was the mother and Amram was the father. He's not mentioned in the text in Exodus 1 and 2, but here in our author's um, wording here by three for three months they hid him his parents hid him now the word there for parents is pateron which means father he was hidden by his father uh, or at least by his parents you know uh, this was the father's plan and the commentators say I'm sure that they were sure he was uh, in on the plan and consulted about the plan honey we're hiding our child, Moses, from the Egyptian edict. And it was more than likely his idea. So it was his parents, both of them together, um, also saw that the child was beautiful. Now, okay, all of you who are parents, you've had the most beautiful children in the world, right? Um, it's the first thing that occurred to me, well, we all think our children are beautiful, but the more I looked and the more I studied this, this line about Moses being a beautiful child, he really did stand out in almost a, a spiritual way. His parents could tell just by looking at him that he was special. Okay, again, well, yeah, we all thought that. We all believe that. But really, um, uh, ultimately, here's a child that's special. You could tell by looking at him. In Stephen's speech in Acts 7, just before he was stoned to death, 
he spends actually a, a good bit of his speech on Moses. And in that, he, he kind of touches on this aspect of, of Moses, uh, the way he's presented to us, that he was, he was beautiful to the Lord, Stephen said. Um, he was a comely child. He was an attract, attractive baby. Uh, just everything about him said, man, this, this child's special. The Lord's going to do something with this little baby. Um, it's an interesting um, it's an interesting description here that it's mentioned, and not just in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament as well, and here, two, te- two places in the New Testament. He was a beautiful child, and of course his parents were probably going to hide him anyway, but given the edict against the boys, obviously they were going to take extra measures. They were not afraid of the king's edict. Um, now, there's a type of Christ here, uh, and this is not the first time Moses stands as a type, as a, a prototype of Christ, uh, an early version of, of the, the work of Christ, prophet, priest, and king. Moses kind of um, fulfilled those roles for ancient Israel. He was their prophet, he was their leader, and um, he was their, their priest. I mean, Aaron was ultimately the high priest, but Moses was was always, as long as he was alive, he was that person, most importantly, to stand in between Israel and, his, and God's people, or, or in God. So there's a type of um, uh, Christ here that Moses and his parents are fulfilling here. Um, think of Mary and Joseph. Uh, they had to flee um, Nazareth, or Beth, the Bethlehem area, to, to go to Egypt, to flee the, the king's wrath, um, to flee Herod's wrath against the boys. He heard a redeemer's coming, a boy, so let's kill all the boys. Same thing, they flee to Egypt. Here they're, they're ultimately going to leave Egypt for you know, the promised land. So there's a, a typological comparison that, that's, that's hard to miss there. Um, but here we have, again, Love's courage uh, in redeemed faith. Love has a courage uh, to protect, to watch over. Um, They were not afraid of the the king's edict. They they trusted that their child would be used of God. So in one sense, they weren't afraid that that he would die, that the Lord was with them in this. Um, I love what, uh, of course, Matthew Henry says here. He said, faith Faith is a great preservative against the sinful, slavish fear of man as it sets God before the soul. As faith does, our redeemed faith sets God before our souls and reveals the vanity of man against God's will and God's power. And so Moses' parents are, they love their child and they're courageous given the context. Um, and just our own context today, more and more, you know, it seems to be that things are heading in this direction where there are edicts and, and things coming down from the government that are, that are scary and they're just talked about right now. But, um, you know, how, how courageous will our love be for one another uh, in our faith when the time comes? I, I pray that it will be great. So here we have the, uh, the courage of Moses' parents and 
the, the courage of love that they showed for him. Secondly, we see uh, the loyalty, faith's loyalty, which is courageous. And here's the uh, lion's share of our passage uh, about Moses when he came of age. And the commentators seem to, to point to 40 years old at this point, that he uh, grew up in, in the palace uh, under, the, under his mom, his uh, adoptive mom. Um, and she's named, I didn't write it down, but uh, there's a lot here that actually is in other histories and other traditions that I think we can take is pretty accurate, but we'll get to those in a second. So when he was grown up, um, about 40 years old, he, he, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now that's the, the, the view from 30,000 feet that um, by the time he's leaving and being cast out of Egypt uh, to where he goes to, to Sinai and meets uh, the Kenites and his father-in-law Jethro and all that. Um, he has refused to be identified. And this is important because in a general assembly, the whole, thing, the whole thing about our redeemed identity in Christ was an issue with regard to, to sexual attraction. Uh, we, don't, we don't identify ourselves with our, our sin and with our, our physical attractions. We identify ourselves with Christ. That's who we are. And Moses came to the point where he refused to be identified with the Egyptian family, with, with Egypt. He identified himself with his people, the people of his birth. It's a word that, uh, to be called here, to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Uh, to be called there is a word that also means, it's about identity, but it's also a, a word that means to give meaning. The meaning of his life, the trajectory of his life was wrapped up and tied up with God's people not with Egypt. So here's this courage that's loyal to his people, the people of his birth. Um, in fact, there's a little Josephus. He was, a, I think, a first century uh, Jewish historian that, uh, man, I don't know where he gets all this stuff, but he was a great historian. Uh, think of great historians today. Josephus was the top of the pile back in his day. But he tells a story of Moses in the household of Pharaoh as a child, as a little boy. Apparently they had kind of brought him forward, they just kind of in jest put a, a diadem on his head, kind of a crown, maybe a, a replica of a, an, the Pharaoh's crown. To which uh, Moses uh, immediately takes it off and throws it onto the ground. Now that's from historical tradition out of Egypt apparently that, that Joseph caught on to. But even then as a child he's, he's uh, shirking, he's, he's uh, jettisoning that identity even as a child. Preferring, verse 25, rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. We're choosing theirs it means to prefer. It's Eris that he, you know, once and for all, he preferred, he chose. He made a choice, and it's, it's a word that means to, to make a choice thoughtfully and deliberately. It wasn't just off the cuff. There was thought that went into it. There was uh, a period of time that went into that decision. Probably most of his uh, older youth and adulthood was coming to grips with who he was and, and weighing in the balance. 
and the sense of calling that he apparently had, even as a young man, that there came that time where he preferred, he selected, he chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God. Now that to be mistreated with is one word. Uh, it's, it's a long Greek verb that has all the augments that means to to join in suffering together, uh, to, to suffer together with other people. He, he chose suffering over sin. He chose the, the suffering of his, his people, of his birth, of his heritage, rather than the, the pleasures of sin for a season. As one commentator said, uh, there's the pleasures of sin for a season. They will end with destruction. The, the, the suffering of the God's people for a season will end with glory and exaltation. God will honor and reward his people. And that comes up here in a little bit. So he chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting, the passing, the temporary pleasures of sin. That's something we need to remember just about this world. It's passing, it's fleeting, it's temporary, and so are all its pleasures. You know, and we need to we need to be able to mark out those pleasures of the world that we kind of get bogged down with. Uh, stuff, Walmart, Costco, um, Sam's Club, you know, um, malls, they all have their attraction. You know, stuff the world. Oh yeah, that reminds me I want that particular TV that's really big that I can lay on and do a spread eagle and still not reach its, you know. Uh, oh yeah, good stuff. Um, HD, uh, real thin. Just and that's just a TV. I mean, it gets worse. You could go across the board. You know, we struggle with that stuff. But all that's fleeting. It's temporary. It's not going to last. And here, um, Moses, he's a he's an adult man now, and he's made the decision that he will walk away from all that to be with his people in their struggle and in their suffering. Um, the enjoyment of uh, being at the top of the Egyptian government was, he, he rejected that. It's amazing. Again, this, this courageous loyalty to his people and to his God. He considered the reproach <clears throat> of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. What a verse. I mean, there, there it is. Uh, above all the treasures of Egypt, above all these passing, fleeting pleasures, he was looking to something else. Now, this is some good stuff here. He considered, and here's this word consider again. Uh, we've, we've seen Abraham, use, he considered that God would bring uh, Isaac back from the dead in order to be faithful to his promise. Sarah considered God would be faithful to his promise and bring her a child from her own body. Here, is, uh, here it is again. Now, <clears throat> I went back and checked. Um, uh, the, there are two different considereds here in the Greek. Um, Abraham, um, his, his consider, his Greek word consider was logizomai. And it was more from the mind. It was, it was, it, he was reasoning in his mind. He reasoned that God's made me a promise. If I kill Isaac according to his command, He'll have to be good to his promise and bring him back to life again. So he was reasoning. It was more of a reasoning uh, consideration. Now, Sarah, Sarah's consider, considering and 
and Moses here are the same word, hegeomu, uh, which is thinking, believing, regarding. It's more of a believing and thinking from the heart. If you want to have a difference between these, uh, the, the reasoning of the mind, uh, Abraham, the reasoning of the heart, what I believe, what, what I'm uh, embracing is, was Sarah's faith and here Moses' faith. He was taking sides. He, he thought, believed, and regard, regarded that the reproach or insult of Christ, now that's in interesting. Was Moses thinking about the person of Christ? I mean, our author's saying he regarded Moses in Egypt was regarding the, the reproach and insult of Christ as greater wealth. Well, <clears throat> more than likely he wasn't thinking about the, the pre-incarnate Christ or the coming Christ, but whenever you're struggling and suffering with the people of God, the covenant people of God, that is the body of Christ. Our author is giving a, a quality to this faith, this loyal faith that that attaches him to Christ. <clears throat> uh, he is part of the body of Christ, and the, the body of Christ will suffer the insults and reproach of Christ. Whenever we suffer the reproach of Christ, Christ is suffering the reproach. His reproach is our reproach. And the head of the church is always reproached as his church is reproached. And as one commentator said, uh, the people of God are, are a reproached people. You know, might as well embrace it, you know, as we go through our lives, that the, the church is, is the target of the world's reproach. I mean, just, just look around how Christianity is treated and how other religions, world religions are treated. You know, for some reason, uh, the Christian church is always getting the, the brunt of the, the abuse uh, and the reproach, and there's a reason for that. It's the only one true God, the only one true religion and the church, the body of Christ, is known as that and rejected because of it. So he thought, he believed, he regarded in his heart that the reproach of Christ was greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 1. Paul deals with this here. Um, Marked. Cool. Okay, I'm at 1 Corinthians 1 at verse 20. <clears throat> I actually wrote my uh, exegetical paper for ordination on this passage. So I know the Greek by heart. Not really. Um, 20 through 25, listen to this. Paul asks, where is the one who is wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So it's this kind of embrace, it's this kind of truth that, that Moses was embracing. 
the righteousness, the, the power, the glory of the true God of the universe. That's true wealth, and everything else is trash and is to be rejected in the comparison. He considered being insulted with the people of God, the church, the, the body of Christ, greater wealth than treasures of Egypt. For he was looking for the reward. Now, this is a, a beautiful word. It's one word there, looking to the reward. Um, it, it's a word that means to pay attention to, that your eyes are focused on something, they're fixed. Um, paying attention, attention fixed on whatever it is. Apoblepo is the Greek word. Uh, and you're probably even anticipating where you've heard, seen that before. Chapter 12, just the next page over as it gets started. And it's our author's uh, it's, um, his response to the entirety of chapter 11. Okay, all these, all these witnesses, all these past faithfuls who showed their faith in all these different ways. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let's also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus or our eyes fixed on Jesus, you may have in your, your translation. The founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy set before him, he fixed himself his heart and his mind on his mission. He would not be deterred from it. He was focused. He was paying attention. His attention was fixed, as was Moses. He was fixed on the reward. He had his eyes on the ball. He would not take his eyes off the goal. Again, I'm just such a... Matthew Henry fanboy, I'm sorry, but um, he said this about this. He calls it the recompense of reward here, looking for the reward. <clears throat> Henry says, <clears throat> believers may and ought to have respect to this recompense of reward. They should acquaint themselves with it, approve of it, and live in the daily and delightful expectation of it. Thus, it will, it will prove a landmark to direct their course a lodestone to draw their hearts, a sword to conquer their enemies, a spur to quicken them to duty, and a cordial to refresh them under all the difficulties of doing and suffering work. Amen. Um, that was Moses. I mean, he made a real deliberate choice here from the, the greatest existence of all to the lowliest, firmly with expectations of the greatest of rewards and the greatest of treasures, which are heavenly. And the, the whole point of chapter 11 is this heavenly vision of the ancient saints. We're just passing through. This is not our home. We don't ultimately belong here. We belong in heaven, in the heavenly city. And that's what we're looking forward to. That's all that matters. We don't mind sleeping on the floor in a tent. I mean, I don't like camping out. I like outdoor stuff. I'm, I kind of, I love outdoor survival stuff. But I don't want to be out there really uh, in a tent, in a sleeping bag. You know, I guess in time I could get comfortable enough where I could actually get a full night's sleep. I never have on a camping 
Now, something on wheels with windows and a, a air conditioning unit. There you go. I could get some sleep there. But these, these folks were content and they embraced this existence of temporary, of just for the time being, we're just passing through. Excuse us, excuse us, just passing through, excuse us. That's our take, that's our set as God's people. We belong somewhere else and we can't wait to get there. And it compares in no way to what we have here. We can't wait. We should leave chapter 11 fully uh, rebuked or challenged at least in our, in our weaknesses and our attachments are being Velcroed to this world and to the things of this world. We need more of a, a courageous loyalty to the church and to the, the God and Savior of the church and to the home he's preparing for us. Moses had that. It was courageous. Um, so faith <clears throat> gives us a courageous love. Faith gives us a courageous loyalty. Thirdly, faith gives us a courageous endurance. By faith, Moses left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured, he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Um, so here's Moses not being afraid again. Now, I think it's uh, chapter 2, middle part of the chapter, where it says Moses was afraid when he came up against the, the angst of Pharaoh, and he, he ran, he fled. Um, well, the commentators thought that wasn't, oh, I don't want to die, I don't want to die, I want to live. It was, no, I'm going to preserve myself and do what I need to do so that I can continue to follow the Lord's plan for my life. So it wasn't so much uh, a fear of Pharaoh, or he would never have left the house in the first place to, to identify with his people. That was, that was a great act of courage. He wasn't afraid of Pharaoh. He wasn't afraid of the anger of the king, which is dumped on him when he was forced out. He had to, he had to flee into the Sinai Peninsula, to, to Sinai, and to those that took him in there. Um, he endured, and he endured with courage. He left Egypt, not being afraid of the king's uh, anger, but also this could be a reference to when he returned. Now, we're all familiar with chapter 3 and the burning bush and Moses' recalcitrance. Or it says, uh, basically, it's you, you're going, get ready. Oh, 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 now, wait a minute. Me? Moi? Uh, I can't talk, I, well, I'll give you Aaron. Well, uh, he's just looking around for the next excuse or changes his, his staff into a snake right there. See, you're gonna do great, Moses. Oh, I don't know, I just, and finally the Lord started getting mad at him, you know. Uh, now, the, meeting the Lord, and we believe that was the, the pre-eternal Christ, the, the angel of the Lord at the burning bush, you know, that's scary. Take some some courage to remain there and not run off. I'm sure Moses wanted to to leave <laughs> that entire narrative. I, I would like to leave now. Lord said, "I'm not finished with you yet." Um, it was quite a narrative there at the burning bush. You ought to read it again, uh, just a back and forth. And you're the guy. Uh, you're not going to change my mind, Moses. Now get up and go. Uh, 
Aaron will meet you on the way and we'll get this thing done. But he went back to Egypt to face Pharaoh. There he was. You know, this, this guy with the beard and robe and, okay, who are you? I'm Moses, remember? You know, oh, I think a lot of courage to do that. But he was, he was on a mission at, at that point. He knew what he was going to do. He knew who his God was. I am, Yahweh. That had been revealed to him. He was ready. He's no longer fearing man, Luke 12. Do not fear man, fear God, right? Jesus taught. Even at the Red Sea, later, as Moses brought them to the, the mouth of this body of water, hemmed in now by the coming army of Pharaoh to destroy them. Again, fear, crushing fear. And here's Moses standing up there on the precipice saying, fear not. Exodus 14, 13, do not be afraid. These Egyptians that you see coming in this cloud of smoke and dust, you will never see them again after we're done. Just be still and calm yourselves and let God work on your behalf. Beautiful passage. And here's Moses leading in that confidence and that courage. He left Egypt not being afraid. He returned to Egypt not being afraid. He endured as seeing him who is invisible. Well, okay, God, God the Father is invisible. To see him in his essence would have been a death sentence. Of course, we can see Moses on the mount and the care that had to be taken so that Moses wasn't consumed by the glory of God. In what way was God visible in Moses' faith? Well, and this is true for us as well, God becomes plain to his people in our understanding of him as he redeems us, our experiencing his faithfulness, his presence, his providence, his existence becomes real to us. In that very real way, we see him. You go outside on a beautiful day like today and you look around and you see the handiwork of God. You, in a sense, see the Lord uh, present in his creation. You see the Lord present in the faithfulness of his providence to your family and in your life. In spite of yourself all these years, you see him. Not physically, but spiritually. It's a spiritual um, acclamation here that that Moses has <clears throat> and it causes us it causes Moses to endure uh, to persevere to persist it's aorist he, it's done he endured period he got through it and he got through it because he saw him who is invisible he was experiencing the Lord he he knew him Reminds me of that, that narrative on, the, on Mount Sinai after the people had rebelled down in the, the, the valley there. The Lord says, stand back, Moses. I'm going to wipe this people out and we'll start over again with you and your family. Pause. Uh, wait a minute, Moses said. And what's crucial to understand there is Moses knew his God and he is responding based on his knowledge of his God. Wait a minute. You made promises to Abraham to give us this land, to give this people that land. And here we are gathered at Sinai. Are you really going to destroy them and be the laughingstock of Egypt and the world? 
Surely not. Surely no. I love that passage because you think, well, to be that bold before the Lord, you know, okay, I'll just wipe you out too, everybody out, and I'll start over with whoever. God was pleased with that because it indicated that Moses knew who it was he was worshiping. It says, this is your reputation. This is what I know of you of all my life and up to this point from my forefathers, from Adam on down to Noah, to Abraham. You are a God who is faithful and covenant-keeping. So the Lord's eating this up. We're all saying, shut up, Moses. <laughs> Getting them mad. No. This should be a characteristic of our prayer. Pray in such a way that you know the God to whom you're praying, and you're, you're relying on that. You're relying on his character, his past character, his present uh, faithfulness, and his future promises. He's pleased with that. It gets you through. Moses endured in knowing the God of his salvation, knowing the God of, of his, his life, who is invisible but not invisible but not absent. So courage... Faith's, faith's endurance is courageous. He endured courageously, seeing him who is invisible. Finally, faith's courageous obedience. By faith, Moses kept the Passover, sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch him. I went back and looked, and you know, it wasn't Moses' idea to have the Passover. This is uh, basically Exodus 12. God tells Moses, okay, here's, what, here's what's going to happen. Uh, it's not going to be, it's just a matter of hours now that you'll be leaving Egypt. Uh, the Passover meal uh, it was instituted. This is what you'll eat. This is how you'll eat it. Dress to leave. Uh, your shoes on, your gird, loins girded, your staffs in your hand. Get ready to go. I'm bringing the death angel to take the firstborn of all Egypt and Israel, except unless you're covered in the blood of the Lamb. And Moses was the, the spiritual leader who made sure that happened throughout Israel. I don't know if it was perfect that some Israelite firstborn died that night, but uh, all the firstborn of Egypt did, even their animals, firstborn cow toast. Very convincing, um, very uh, eye-opening if you're Egypt, if you're Pharaoh. And, Lord said, get ready to leave, you're leaving. But by faith, Moses keeps that Passover and makes it happen for his people. Now you think of uh, dark nights and terrifying times. I don't think any drama or whatever can, can match the, the dark terror of that night. Uh, you think of dark terror, you th remember back to Abraham and the split animals and God passing through as a torch and a pot of coals, making the promises in this dread, black, dark terror of night. I think this would probably be more terrifying because people were going to be dying right and left. Unless that lamb for each household has been sacrifice the blood with the hyssop branch put around your front door 
on, on its top and down the sides and on the window lintels, on the windows. Your home is covered by the blood of the Lamb. I don't have to go much into see the gospel there. See the shed blood of the Lamb, the firstborn unblemished Lamb that was chosen for that sacrifice. Moses, by faith, <clears throat> in courageous obedience, making sure that happened for all his people so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch the church, touch the people of God. He led in that. Um, a terrifying, a, a night of dark terror. And yet, here's the shed and sprinkled blood of the Lamb over his people. And we'll get to that here in a moment. But uh, Jesus and his disciples celebrated that Passover meal just before you instituted the new and, and better, more glorious meal of redemption applied and accomplished rather than just anticipated. So, face courage. Beloved, if, if you're in Christ today, if you're redeemed, if you're justified by the blood of Christ, then you are courageous and you will have courage. Um, don't despair. I believe for us, dark times are coming. They're kind of hovering right now, but I believe our metal will be tested in the days to come. And where you might think, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not courageous enough for this. If you're redeemed, you will be. And here's your example of some of the most courageous decisions and stances taken in redemptive history. Moses is an example. But then we have our Lord and Savior, Jesus, who came, became one of us, took on flesh, became the God-man, and presented himself to the world to be taken and put to death. I mean, I would have you just remember, first and foremost, the courage of Christ, the Savior, rather than the courage of Moses, the, the ex um, boy king of Egypt but the Lord gives us this example exult in it revel in it revel in the glory of the table and the sacrament of the Lord's Supper as the Passover is exalted and celebrated but then put to the side because something else is better and taking its place let's enjoy that as we come to it here in just a moment let's pray Heavenly Father thank you for these wonderful reminders for this beautiful text of a faith that is courageous. Lord, give us courage, give us boldness, give us resolute hearts and fixed minds, fixed on truth, fixed on heaven, a gaze and an attention that will not be torn away from its object. Lord, as you sanctify us, make that gaze and that fixation on heaven and our obedience to you and our faithfulness to you, that which characterizes us the most. We thank you for this text and its encouragement to us now. Prepare us for the table as we come to it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The sacrament has always been an important part of redemptive history. We have two, the Lord's Supper and baptism. 
But that's not the only sacramental things that have happened in the Old Testament. The elders gathered on Mount Sinai to have a meal together uh, there in Exodus. Um, we have the split pieces and God passing through. That's all sacramental. It's God's modus operandi to give us a picture, to give us an example to follow and to, to preach a message. So the table preaches and it it reminds us of truths. It um, comforts us. It uh, exposes us. Sometimes it sits here as a rebuke to us. All that's good for the, the child of God. Sometimes we need the encouragement. Sometimes we need the rebuke and the admonition. It's all here. As you come to it today, you may experience all three or one or two of the three or one of the three or four or five. Uh, we're all different that way. We've all had different weeks, different levels of obedience and trust and uh, faithfulness to God. You have to decide today for the Lord, am I going to come and mock him at his table? Or am I going to come repentant and humble to it? If you have to not take today, it doesn't mean you're not saved. It just means I, I need more preparation. I wasn't thinking about this well this week. It's okay. We'll do it again next week. Honor God at his table. It's here for you as a sinner. Even if you come today prepared, you're still a sinner. And your Savior is still the, the sinless Savior that has embraced us in our redemption and gives us this to remind us of that. So take it seriously. Enjoy the benefits. Uh, revel in the blessing. It's all here. But make that decision now. Um, but I say come. Uh, don't lightly um, refuse the table today. So be sobered. Anticipate great blessing. Uh, we're talking about a, a, a born, uh, lived and died Savior who is perfectly obedient for us. We have his righteousness today, and we have his promises for the future in our future home. Be encouraged and come and partake. With that, let's, let's pray and ask God's blessing on this. Father, help us to be faithful. We thank you for your righteousness that is displayed here, your finished work that is final. It's finished. It is finished for all time. And we exult in that. What a comforting message that is. May we take rightly, take worshipfully, humbly. Lord, bless us in it and prepare us for the day and the week with what we do now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. What we have before us is simple, not complicated. Have a drink and a food. Jesus presented to his disciples uh, bread and wine. We have wine on the outer, we have juice on the outer ring on both trays, wine on the inner rings. Um, take according to your preference there, but simple meal, not much to, oh wow, look at this, simple yet profound. We come to it with deep senses of worship, Gratitude, 
humility, and, and joy as uh, our salvation one is done. So if you'll come forward, if you're visiting with us today, uh, that's the thing about the, the drink, the wine, and the juice. Um, we'll come forward, just follow the crowd, and um, come and take one of each element, return to your seat. Then we will together partake with the words of institution. And while you come, I'll read to you from the corpus of John, from John 3 and 1 John 4. Please come. Now there was a man, the Pharisees, named Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. No one else can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. From 1 John 4, Beloved, <clears throat> let us love one another for the love of God, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love God does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God has so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, and if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and, that he, in a, and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come now to know and to believe that love the, the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Amen.